You're listening to audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia, where we believe in preaching the authoritative power of God's Word each and every week. For more content and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org. Colossians chapter 1 this morning as we continue in our series, Embracing the Supremacy of Christ. We have defined supremacy up to this point as a state or condition of surpassing all others in status, in power, and in authority. The entire purpose of the book of Colossians is to demonstrate the supremacy, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, not only in our lives, but over every other so-called God. Now here in the text today, Paul is praying that we would be filled with the knowledge, the supreme knowledge of the king's will. If you gather with me in verse 9, chapter 1, says this as I read aloud. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, And may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Today, Paul is praying for the the Colossians and for us that we would be filled with the knowledge of the king's will. But it begs the question, what is God's will and how do we know if we have missed it? I remember my dad asking this question some years ago. Uh, Back in 2008, approximately, my dad had kind of reached a point in his career. He had been a dentist for approximately 25, 30 years, and he was just coming to the point where he realized he needed a change. And so my mom and my dad, who are both solid believers, began just pursuing the Lord. What do we do now? What comes next? Lord, what do you want from us? And as they began to pray and seek the Lord and seek his will about this, um, the Lord seemed to begin to move them toward... um, jumping back into the military, specifically the army. Now, if that sounds odd to you, it's because uh, my dad was able to get through uh, dental school because the army paid for it. He gave three years service. They paid for his schooling. And so at the end of his career, he wanted to kind of give back to what uh, his country had given to him. So my mom and dad, they committed it to prayer. They spent a lot of time in prayer. And finally, they decided that this was God's will. Well, in the process, they had asked uh, during the process when they were being recruited, well, are we going to be shipped over to Iraq? Or am I going to have to go to Iraq? And they said, no, 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 you won't have to go to Iraq. About two weeks in, after being drafted or enlisted, what do you, what do you know? They sent him an email. They said, you're going to Iraq. And he goes to Iraq, and he's put under a boss who absolutely hates Christians and makes my dad's life miserable because he's a Christian. Then one day, stepping off of uh, a helicopter carrying an 80-pound rutsack at 160 pounds himself, he was dropping weight drastically. 
he fell backwards and broke two vertebrae. Then when he came home, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer, likely due to the fact that they were so close to the burn pits over in Iraq. And as the reality of all these things that he was going to have to live with till the day he died, he looked at me one day and he just said these questions with a heavy heart. Matt, when I got into this, I just wanted to do God's will. Did I miss it? When things go bad, I think that's the question that we all ask. As true followers of Christ, who want to honor the Lord with our lives, but then things get rocky, we start to wonder, did we miss it? Did we miss the mark? When a relationship goes bad and we experience hurt and betrayal and a marriage falls apart, or a relationship with a child Do we miss the will of God? When suffering walks through your front door and sits down on your couch and kicks up its legs and says, I'm not going anywhere, we start to ask, did we miss it? Did we do something wrong? When you get to the middle of your life and you look around and at all the things that you thought God had in store for you in your 20s and your 40s have not come to fruition, you start to wonder, did I miss it? Or if you make a decision because you want to honor the Lord, you want to serve the Lord, you want to give your life to the Lord, like going back into the military, and then everything goes bad, you start to wonder, did I miss it? I wonder how many of us have been there. You see, Paul is writing to a group of people here at Colossae called the Colossians. That was redundant. Christians who were under pressure because they were proclaiming the supremacy, the preeminence of Christ into a culture who said Jesus is just one of a thousand gods. And they were getting not only pushback for it, but they were paying a heavy price. And they were beginning to wonder, did we miss something? Did we do something wrong? And so Paul is praying here in this text that Jesus would reveal to them in a greater way than they had ever seen before, the, the, the beauty, the glory, the majesty of knowing God's will fully in their lives and that their suffering and their persecution is not the result of missing God's will, it's the result of God's will. And I think unless we have this monumental shift in the way we think about God's will, Today, this morning, when things go bad, when things go wrong, we're always going to be plagued with this question, did I miss it? Did I get it wrong? Does not God not care about me? Is God angry with me? Does God not love me? We're going to ask all the wrong questions. And so today, what I hope to do is, with this text, create a grid for us to ask the right questions as we go through difficult seasons of life, especially when it pertains to knowing God's will. Sound like a plan? Would this be helpful? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. You are good. We come to you wanting to know your will. But Father, not just to know what's next, but Father, we want a bigger picture of your will. We want to know how to discern the difficult circumstances of life, Father, so that we don't injure ourselves with the wrong questions. 
So, Father, give us guidance this morning. We pray through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we begin this conversation about discerning God's will, I think there's two crucial questions that we have to ask ourselves and then five promises that I want to encourage you with at the end if you're willing to answer the first two questions right. The first two questions are, whose kingdom, whose king? Whose kingdom, whose king? And then five blessings when we answer those two questions right. Now, I find the question of whose kingdom here in verses 12 through 14. Read along with me as I read aloud. And give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of light, his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, we have rescue, we have been ransomed, the forgiveness of our sins. And so what Paul begins by doing here, and I want to start here because I think this is crucial to the text, is he begins by contrasting two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness, as he describes it here in the text, is a kingdom dominated by the harsh rule of sin and self. It's a kingdom of moral and intellectual darkness and confusion. We could literally call it the upside down. It's where good seems evil, right seems wrong, and it's really hard for us to tell the difference between the two. And this is a kingdom that rules, by and large, our world as it exists today. I saw this as a perfect example in the New New York Times. I don't usually read the New York Times, but I saw an article by them this week on uh, the abortion doctor in South Bend, Indiana, the most prolific abortion doctor in Indiana's history, committed uh, tens of thousands of murders throughout his career. When he passed away and they went into his home to collect all of his things, that he had gathered 2,200 plus aborted children and preserved their bodies in his home. He said, Pastor Matt, why do you tell me that? Because the New York Times, who is annoyingly a virtue signals in every article they write, their virtuous stand on all the social issues, does not even give a sliver of condemnation for this horrific scene in South Bend, Indiana. Nothing. Sorry, I'm a little hot. But it breaks my heart to see that our culture can't even call evil, evil anymore. But the problem is that the kingdom of darkness isn't just out there, because that's how we tend to think of it. Kingdom of darkness is out there, but it also starts in here. Because the kingdom of darkness is occupied by citizens. Citizens who at one point were described in chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, if you join me over there, who were characterized by, as Paul says here in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is evil or earthly in you. Here's this kingdom of darkness, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
God's going to judge this kingdom of darkness. And then these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have, been put, you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new. See, this is a kingdom of darkness. This is a kingdom ruled by the harsh dictator of sin. Sin that promises you, well, if you would just simply be true to yourself, listen to your heart, YOLO, you only live once, so be true to yourself, you're going to find freedom out there. But here's the problem for the young generation that's trying to live that way. It doesn't bring you freedom. It only brings you a prison. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, used the illustration of, of Narnia as a land where always winter never Christmas. Always miserable. But that hope of Christmas in the future, it's it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, but it never comes. That's what the kingdom of darkness really is all about. It's a kingdom of despair and hopelessness, and there's a sliver of hope in the future, but it never comes. That is the kingdom of darkness Paul is describing here in this text. But then he gives the contrast to the kingdom of light. He's delivered us, from verse 13, from the dominion, the control, the brutal dictatorship of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son into whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He compares this to a kingdom of light illuminated by the radiant rule of Christ. This is a kingdom of moral and intellectual light and clarity. It's a kingdom where, watch this, life makes sense. Where goodness is rewarded, where evil, justice finds evil, and it's easy to tell the difference between the two. It's where we have a king who is not a harsh and cruel dictator, but rather a king, a beloved son who ransoms captives out of the kingdom of darkness and transfers them into the kingdom of light. He's not a king who stands at the top of the stairs, looks down at his toddler and says, well, hey, come on up, kid. If you can make it up these stairs without falling backwards, you can be with me. That's not our king. Our king is one who delivers us, who ransoms. Do you know what a ransom is? A ransom is a person who gives themselves to set another free. And when Jesus died on the cross He didn't just do it to set a good example for us. He did it to set us free from the kingdom of darkness that you and I were birthed into. That we could be forgiven of our sins and have freedom and true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And let me pause here today and ask you this. Have you been transferred? Have you been ransomed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? And notice what he does when Jesus ransoms a person. I love this in verse 13. He He has delivered us from the kingdom or the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. He backs up the moving truck. He backs up the moving truck. He comes into the kingdom of darkness. He's like, get out of the way, y'all. I'm taking this one. And he packs up all of our stuff and he gives us a new address in the kingdom of his beloved son where we get to live for the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ. But it doesn't start in eternity. It starts right now. 
This is the kingdom of light. It's the already, not yet. Even though we don't have the land, we have the citizens of the land, and the citizens are scattered throughout the world like salt, like light, and therefore we are called to live in this world as citizens of a kingdom that we do not yet occupy. Does that make sense? And it's important for us to understand that we properly understand this idea of kingdom. Because if we think to ourselves, well, what God rescued me out of was basically a broken theme park, all right? My life was supposed to be Disney World. It's supposed to be Disneyland, but it was broken down. It didn't function right, and I was miserable and unhappy. And so what Jesus did is he rescued me out of this broken theme park and put me in Disney World. And now my life is supposed to be happy and awesome and easy all the time. It's never supposed to have any problems. Jesus fixes it all. I'm always happy no matter what. Amen. Is that what God has rescued us from? Now, there is a gospel out there that will tell you that. It's called the prosperity gospel. That Jesus will come, and if you just uh, believe enough and give enough and commit enough, that he's going to rescue and make your life perfect. You're never going to have any problems. He's going to pay all your bills. You're never going to have any issues. He's going to take away all your cancer. You're never going to have any issues ever again. Amen. That's a popular gospel. But it's not the gospel of the scriptures. The gospel of the scriptures tells us that Jesus didn't rescue us out of a broken theme park to go to Disney World. He rescued us out of Auschwitz. That Jesus walked in to this place of death and despair and liberated us from cruelty and death and gave us life in the kingdom of his son. Now, do you see why it's important to see a difference between the two? Because if you start asking, God, I want to know your will. I want to know your will. I want to know your will. And you think that his will is for you to live in Disney World for your entire life. You're going to be sorely disappointed. But if you begin by start with the, the assumption that, no, I wasn't rescued out of a broken theme park. I was rescued out of a concentration camp and given newness of life. All of a sudden, you have a foundation of gratitude and a foundation of purpose and a, and a realization that regardless of the difficulties in this life, it's only temporary till I finally get to the kingdom promised in the next. So I will endure the difficulties of the now. Do you see how it reframes the question? You see, if we come to the difficulties of life and we assume that God's will is for us to live in Disneyland for the rest of our lives, well then, when things go bad, things go hard, go, things go wrong, we're going to start asking God, well, did we miss it? Are you angry with me? Do you not love me? But when we shift the question to whose kingdom do we belong and what is that kingdom really, all of a sudden, it gives us a whole new perspective on how we approach our understanding of God's will. Because my dad, when he went over to the military, and he went over to Iraq, and he served under that boss that, that couldn't stand him, and he broke his back, and he got cancer, and he asked the question, did I miss it? Did I, did I get the will of God wrong? 
Well, if you just look at it as hitting the bullseye, you're going to think you got it wrong. But if you say, no, Dad, you're part of a kingdom. You belong to a kingdom of people who've been rescued out of the concentration camp of sin and put into a kingdom of light. And now you are the kingdom's citizen, but we don't have a land yet. So we've been scattered throughout all the world. Then you begin to realize that God intentionally placed him in that camp in Iraq to be a citizen of the king. Are you, are are we tracking And so during that time when my dad was there, he started witnessing to his boss. And he didn't come to Christ, but you know what? He's still working on on him to this day. And he's inching closer and closer. And now my dad has a ministry to people who have experienced incredible pain and incredible suffering in their life. Why? Because he can identify with them. Do you see how the kingdom question changes everything? So the first question that we have to ask is we have to ask, whose kingdom do we belong to? And let me ask, do you belong to the kingdom of light? If not, why not today embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And he'll back up the moving truck and move you in. Amen? But second question then, who's the king? Who's the king? I think we would all agree here this morning that (laughs) uh, we can belong to Christ's kingdom, uh, but sometimes we still fight for control. Anybody with me? Or am I all alone in this one? I mean, there are still times. I just want to be the king of my own kingdom. Amen? I just want to do my own thing. I want to have my own will. But the reality is that when we join the kingdom of Christ, when we join the kingdom of light, we have to have a new king. And it ain't me. And it ain't you. And so that's why he says in verse 9, as we back up to the beginning, it says, And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his, that is Christ, the king's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The definition, if you want a definition of God's will, it is simply this. It's the sum total of God's plans and purposes for your life he wishes to accomplish. It's the sum total of his plans and purposes that God wills to accomplish in and through us in this life. In other words, if you belong to Christ's kingdom, the king wants to accomplish things through you. And here's the really cool part. Before Jesus ascended into heaven in John 14, he said this, I've done some pretty amazing things here on earth. I've raised some people from the dead. I've brought some people back to life. Again, I'm being redundant. I apologize. But he says this in the text, greater things you will do than I have done. There are some great things that Jesus wants to accomplish in and through you in this life, but that means there has to be a surrendering of your will to his. Amen? So the question becomes, how do we know God's will? Well, it says here in the text, first of all, he's praying that we would have a knowledge of his will. If you're going to do God's will, you have to know what God's will is. And so I'm going to make it super duper simple. Uh, There was a book written entitled this, and I thought it was perfect. God's word is God's will. Say it with me. God's word is God's will. If you want to know God's will the first place that you have to, must go to every single time you ask the question is you must go to God's word. 
Now, you might push back on me automatically and say, well, Pastor Matt, the Bible doesn't tell me who I'm supposed to marry. The Bible doesn't tell me who, what job I'm supposed to take. The Bible doesn't tell me where I'm supposed to live. And I would say, you're absolutely right. But it does give you the priorities, the principles, the promises, and the God who providentially works through the circumstances of life to help guide you toward the right decisions. Are we tracking? The Bible is where you find the priorities, the principles, and the promises necessary to make decisions that honor and please the Lord. And where you get to know the God who works through the providential circumstances of life to get you to that place. Couple of examples. God never showed up in um, my life and spoke to me audibly and told me, hey, Matt, you need to marry Miranda Simmons. He never told me that. So how did I know that Miranda Simmons was supposed to be Miranda Simmons Townsend? Well, here's what I did know from God's word. I knew that I need to find someone who has surrendered her life to Christ. Not just someone who claims to be a Christian. Singles, hear me on this. Just because he says he's a Christian doesn't mean he's surrendered to Christ. That is crucial. Don't just find a guy that says, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Find the guy that's like, I have given and surrendered my all to Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's important, because if he's surrendered his life to Christ, he's going to surrender his life to you and to serve you. But that's what I wanted in, in, in my wife, someone who had surrendered her uh, life to Christ, someone who loved to serve other people, someone who, as Proverbs 31 said, was a woman of integrity, who worked hard, who loved the gospel. And so here's what God did. God gave me all the promises, principles, and um, priorities in Scripture that I needed to know to find the right woman. And then providentially, he stuck me in a church where I couldn't ever get away from her. Or better yet... She couldn't get away from me. (laughs) I had to wear her down. She wanted nothing to do with me for the first two months. (laughs) But the Lord worked through that. Providence, priorities, principles, promises of Scripture. God never told us, yeah, Matt, you need to plant a church in King of Prussia. Uh, But here's what I knew from God's word, that I needed to serve Christ no matter the location I went to. I wanted to be, God had burdened my heart with being in a place where the gospel did not have a strong presence. God had burdened me to use particular gifts. I love to talk, and so preaching is just a natural, great way, and I love the word of God. And so I wanted to use the gifts that I had, and so God providentially, through the providence or principle, are are we tracking? (laughs) Here's the thing, though. If we're going to know the principles and priorities and promises, we have to know the word. Here's the problem. I think too many of us have become content with a kindergarten level understanding of this book. There's a book written many years ago called All I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. That is an unfortunate reflection of too many Christians today. If we're going to try to do the will of God in this life, but not know the word of God in our lives, that's like, Dave, trying to build a house without a blueprint, right? You cannot do it. Guys, we've got to know the word of God. But then here's the second 
piece of doing God's word in the text it says here, uh, he's praying that we have a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding is just simply wise application of God's priorities, principles, and promises in life. It's just wise application. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. So we have the priorities, we have the principles, we have the promises, and we have a providential God who works. But sometimes God doesn't specifically say what we need to do with them. We need the Holy Spirit's help to know how to apply these things and be wise. For instance, God never tells us, I know I'm a little late to the game on this one, but God doesn't tell us in his word, don't watch Game of Thrones. And I'm going to guess probably about half of us in this room were addicted to that show. That's why I'm talking about it. I've never seen it. I've never seen a single episode in my life. So what does the Word of God say about it? Well, the Word of God doesn't say don't watch it, but it does say flee sexual immorality. It does tell us not to look lustfully after a woman because if we do that, we've committed adultery with her already. And so... What is the proper application of those principles when it comes to watching a show filled with sexual immorality? Now, some people say, well, I'm going to order it from VidAngel, and they're going to edit it all out so that then I can watch the story. Okay. If you want to do that, fine. I, I don't have anything big against that. I just say, don't watch it. And there's a ton of shows like that where I've just decided in my life, I'm not going to watch it because I can't honor the Lord's principles and watch this show at the same time. But here's the problem. You might say, well, but you don't understand, bro. Game of Thrones, man, it's so awesome. Do you even know what they're doing with the storyline? There's this guy over here and that guy over there. and They're betraying this person, that person. Who's going to get the throne? Now, I've never watched it, so I don't care. But you get hooked. And you get sunk into it. And all of a sudden you find this battle of wills over who's going to be king in those moments when people start taking their clothes off in the show. Do you see what I'm saying? Or maybe you would say, man, I've got some awesome Christian friends in my life. But um, when we get together, it gets really gossipy and slandery. And people start talking about other people. And it just, it goes in an icky direction. You ever been there? What do you do with that? Well, God's will talks about you need Christian friends. At the same time, the Bible also says bad company corrupts good morals. So what do you do? The Spirit needs to help lead you. Do you confront? Do you try to speak truth into that context? Or do you find a new group of friends? Or do you say, hey, I need to take a break for a while? What do you do? That's where you need the Spirit to guide you in wisdom and understanding of applying God's word. Here's another one. You might say, man, I love Jesus and I've got a ton of ambition in my life, but I don't think God has equipped me for full-time ministry. What do I do? Well, here's what we know from God's word. Wherever you go, you are salt and light in this world. You are called to love your neighbor and you are called to be an ambassador for Christ no matter where you go, no matter what you do. So whether you're driving a truck or you're in a chemistry lab, or you are doing concrete, or you're working um, in architecture, or in nursing, or at a car dealership, or wherever you are, you are called to be Christ's representative in that place. 
That's your full-time ministry. That's the proper application of God's will. But here's the thing about God's will. In the Old Testament, the way we knew God's will is through the law. There was 600 plus instructions of how we were supposed to live. Christ fulfilled all that. Now we know God's will through Christ. And predominantly as Christ reigns on the throne of our hearts. And so in those little moments where our will battles God's will, the question becomes, who is king? When I want to watch a show like Game of Thrones that I know I shouldn't, when I want to gossip and slander somebody because I was just super annoyed with the thing that they said this morning, when I'm really in love with that person, but I'm not married to them, and I want to go places that I know I shouldn't. When the finances are really hard and really difficult, and there's a way that I can get some money, but I know I got I to cut some corners to do it. In those little moments of life where nobody else sees and nobody else knows, that is where the question of who is king is so important. Do you see how this changes the way we approach it? What do I do, God? What do I do in this? And what do I do with that? Where do I go to college? Well, where do you want to go to college? Well, I want to, I want to go to Eastern, or I want to go to Cairn, or I want to go to this place or that place. Okay, can you be my ambassador there? All right? Can, can, can you serve me in, in the place that they're going to teach you how to go to? Can you do, like, do you see? It's completely different and very freeing. And all God's people said... But it's a question of who's kingdom and who is king. Uh, a friend of mine told me uh, about a year ago of, he was watching on the Nature Channel. Uh, this is Pat Numbers for some of you who might know that. He was telling me the story of, uh, he was watching on the Nature Channel, two mountain goats. And they were up on the cloth of the rocks. It was those, these guys with the big horns. You know what I'm talking about? They have the big horns. They usually hit and they'll lock horns and they'll battle and try to get the one to fall down the mountain so that the other is like king of the hill and, and that whole thing. And so he was saying, but what was interesting is these two goats, as they were approaching each other, were on this tiny, slender, just they knew if, if we lock horns, we're both going down. So interestingly enough, one goat lays down, the other walks over, and they both go their separate ways. When it comes to the will of God, I think so many of us in here, we know what God in general wants us to do. It's just a matter of surrendering to the king. The final thing is, when we recognize that we're part of his kingdom, that we want to honor Christ as king. There's a couple of blessings that go with this. And I want you to look back at verses 10 through 12. When we seek to honor the will of the Lord, I just want to encourage you with this this morning because the reality is honoring God's will sometimes is hard. Can I get an amen on that? 
doing God's, there's, there's sexual implications that some of us just don't want to honor. There's relational implications that some of us just don't want to honor. There's, there's, there's job implications and integrity implications that we just, but who's the king? And when we seek to honor Christ as Lord, as king of our lives, and we do these things that honor him, look at what it says. Verse 10. We'll back up a little bit in verse 9. We seek to know, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Here's the thing about it. Your God, his disposition toward you is not annoyance, it's not frustration, it's love, care, affection, and a desire to lavish you with blessing. Do you realize that? We tell our kids all the time, girls, we love you so much. Addie's right here. We love you so much. We want to bless you. We want to shower you. We want to cover you with awesome things in your life. But when you obey, it makes it easy. When you disobey, it makes it really hard. And we want to bless you. And the first thing it says is, we walk worthy of the Lord. We please him. There's something inherent in a child that just desires to put a smile on their daddy's face. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Addie and I were, hey, come on up. Dear, I love this that you can come up and join me. Just the other day, uh, Addie and I were, were playing catch out in the backyard. And so we were throwing the ball back and forth and we were having a good time. Yep, you caught it. Throw it back, throw it back. And we were having so much fun. And, and so when we started playing catch, like the ball was kind of going all over the place and just here, there, and everywhere. And so finally I said, you remember this, Addy, I said, when you throw the ball and you release, point at the thing that you want to throw it at. And every time, every time, bam, what? Right? Thanks, sweetie. You can sit down. Every time, every time she hit that spot, I just gave her this huge smile and she would just glow. There's something about we want to please our dad. We want to please our Heavenly Father, and He is smiling on us when our heart disposition is to honor Him. Amen? But secondly, he, we bear much fruit. Look at verse 10. Uh, verse 10, so is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing much fruit in everything, in every good work. Now, I don't have a ton of time to unpack this, but here's the point. I want to be productive in this life for the kingdom. Like, if I'm part of the kingdom that is yet to come, I'm a citizen of it now, but the land is coming and I'm going to occupy it. I want to bear fruit in this life that's going to last, not just right now, but into this kingdom that is yet to come. That's what I want to do. And when we seek to do God's will, he says, we bear not just some fruit, but much fruit, and not just fruit that's going to last for a little while, but it's going to last into the kingdom when we honor him. Here's the third reason, third incentive to honor the king's will. Uh, verse uh, 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is really weird because he's like, well, I thought we already kind of had the knowledge of God with the Bible. Here, here's what he means. The more you obey God's will, the better you get to know him. You might say, well, Matt, I, God's will is really hard, and I, I just don't understand it, and I don't get it, and I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Here's the thing. Just do it. And as you do it, it'll make sense later, the deeper you get to know God. And you will grow in your knowledge. Fourth, it says here in, in verse 11, that you may be strengthened with some power. Wait, what? 
Come on, Bereans, what does it say? What power? All power. According to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This word power here in the text is the word dunamis, which we're, where we get the term dynamite. If you need some power today, honor the Lord with your life and obey his will. And here's what he promises. He'll strengthen you to endure. Is there anybody here that this morning just needs to endure under hardship? Tough season. And notice what else he says in this text. With an endurance and patience with joy. Endurance and patience are different, and here's how. I like how this commentator said, patience means a willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in belief that something hidden is there that will manifest itself in time. Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else to somebody else, and therefore they want to go somewhere else and be someone else. But that moment is always empty and it always passes. But the patient people who are strengthened by God dare to stay where they are and see what the gospel will produce in time. I needed to hear that this week, to be patient and to endure And notice what else he says here in this text is you seek to honor the king and his kingdom. He says in verse 11, you'll be strengthened with all power according to this glorious might for endurance and patience. Verse 12, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. Your inheritance, church, if you belong to the kingdom and you belong to the king, Your inheritance of the future, already not yet kingdom, is coming. Y'all not getting that. The kingdom is coming. And your inheritance, your plot of land, is coming. Y'all, you're not getting this. God spoke and there was, and it was good, and he created it all in six days. It's pretty amazing. I don't know about you, but this world is pretty amazing. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty awesome. Can I, yep, yep, anybody? Okay. Jesus has been in heaven for 2,000 years preparing your plot of land, your inheritance, for 2,000 years. Now we're getting it. That's yours if you're part of the kingdom. If he is your king, the inheritance belongs to you, and it is coming. So let's invest in that kingdom. And church, let me leave you with this. When it comes to asking God's will, we need to change the questions that we ask. When life gets hard and we start wondering, did we miss it? Did we get something wrong? Did we take a wrong turn? Where did we go wrong? Whatever it is, we need to ask these very simple questions. Whose kingdom? Who's king? And if we can answer those two questions correctly, then we know we're on the right track. And all we got to do is be reminded of all the blessings that are coming for those who 
belong to Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, we love you, and I pray, God, help us this week as we enter into it, God, to remember, God, that <laughs> your will's not complicated. It's, it's really not. Um, we just need to know and remember what we've been saved from and who's really in charge. If we've got those things in check, everything else gets pretty easy. Father, help us to remember that this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia. For more audio, content, and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org.